Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about one of the most fundamental issues that every startup faces, how to acquire customers in the early days. Rick has validated his idea for Leg Up Health, and now it's time to go out and bootstrap his way to profitability. So we're going to talk about how he can do that. But first, let's give some updates. So what have you been up to this week, Tyler? Uh, Things have still kind of been busy, but in a good way. Uh, So a few things are going on. One is uh, I'm in the process of ramping up my marketing work a little bit. Um, Last year, I was really focused on product stuff. And um, we talked on the year in review episode that I need to kind of dive in and get my hands dirty with marketing again. So flying out to Boston to do some of that with my brother next week. I, I already mentioned that, but I've started like planning all of that and thinking, what are the actual projects we can do and all that? And even just the process of thinking about this is really energizing. And there's just, there's so many ideas that it's been a long time since I've even thought about that. So I'm kind of like getting my muscle memory back for growth and marketing type stuff. That's awesome. Uh, are you liking it or is it something that you're in the early stages on? It just feels like you're playing this uphill battle. Uh, not the uphill bat. I, I like it. I probably don't like it as much as just focusing on making the product better, but, um, I, there's probably more low hanging fruit here than there is with that. Every product improvement is a big project because we've already done all the little easy stuff. And I think with marketing, we've let it, uh, kind of rot for so long that there's a lot of important stuff to be done that won't take a long time. Makes sense. Are you, um, are you, are you seeing a lot of opportunity right away? Um, no, I, I don't expect anything that I or we do in the near future to like immediately have an impact. Um, I think it'll have a big impact, but over a long period of time, I don't think it'll be like, oh, our leads doubled overnight or anything like that. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, and then aside from that, so we're. Uh, getting ready. We're about two weeks away. Well, about a, a little over a week away now from the what we're calling the hard launch of this new design. So we've had this new design for Less Annoying CRM I've been talking about for months. We did the soft launch back in November. And by that, I mean new accounts started on the new design, but we didn't move old accounts over. They've been able to opt in, but we didn't force anyone. So a week from Monday, we're going to start forcing people over and we've really ramped up how aggressive we are. Like, if you're using the old version, there is an undismissible banner at the top of the page all the time that says you need to upgrade. Um, so we've got a pretty big influx of that. And it's different from in the past when people upgraded themselves, it was early adopters who were excited about change and stuff like that. We're getting towards the other end of the the bell curve where it's we're about 50% of our customers have switched over, so right in the middle, I guess. But the people who are switching over now are a little more likely to be afraid of change and just be like, I, I want the old one forever. I never want anything to change. So that's Why a process. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> yeah. They're like, it's it's not good for me when you change. And it's like, it's not good for you if we go out of business because our product is so outdated. So you're going to have to deal with this. <laughs> is that what you say? In a much, much nicer way, but it also helps. The vast majority of feedback we get is still positive. So we just, people just need to vent and calm down a little bit. But there was one change in particular that a lot of people started requesting this week. Um, so 
it was kind of fun. Um, Robert and I just spent the last 36 hours really, really quickly implementing it. And it's actually, it just got deployed like the second before we recorded this. So, uh, we're making some changes based on the complaints. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. But I'm really excited to just have everyone switched over and, and be done with it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's been going on for, uh, that's about a six. We're in like month five or six of this, aren't we? Yeah. Well, yeah, we're, we're close to a year from when the project started Wow. and we're probably month five or six from when we started letting customers opt into it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, some of them act like they're like, why are you springing this on me? And it's like, we emailed you months ago about this and we've, we've written 20 blog posts and, you know, I don't know what more we could have done, but oh well. You're you're clearly not taking advantage of, of spamming your, your uh, users enough. Well, we're, we're spamming them. Well, we're not spamming. We're emailing them a lot more than we used to. So we will have sent three emails to non-newsletter subscribers about this. So that's like a lot for us. Yeah. Relative to the normal company, it's nothing. But for you guys, <laughs> it's like a lot. <laughs> well, and a, there's a pop. We did a pop-up. The first time anyone logged in in the new year, we did a pop-up. We did a banner at the top of the page. We Nobody can pretend they don't know about this at this point. <laughs> um, anyway, that's me. How about you? Well, I've been this week ramping up leg up health, and this is everything from getting appointed. So, in order to sell health insurance to uh, to users and become the broker, I've got to get appointed with the insurance companies. And so, I started that process. And there's, you know, I mentioned last week that there are all these different levels associated with uh, insurance. Um, I I was lucky enough to have a friend of mine who's in the business walk me through all of that. It is a multi level marketing. Mm-hmm. organization is it um, infinite can it is it infinite level so i thought it was like there's kind of three or four levels but then it kind of caps out it can be infinite in structure but rarely does it become infinite usually it's maxes out about five levels but that's you know you, you've got the insurance company and then five degrees away the person actually selling the policy which is <laughs> kind of crazy when you think about it um but anyway uh it's yeah. It's taking way longer to get up to speed into a place where I can bring in revenue than I expected. Um, I realized uh, getting appointed this week that I've got to set up an LLC specific to this business to get the, because I need to have an, uh, an organization licensed as an agency to have the right liability protection. Um, I've got, in order to run it through my bank, my, my professional bank accounts and not have it come directly to me as like a 1099. I've got to have an agency. Um, I've got to have insurance, uh, E&O insurance in order to get paid on that agency that covers both the agency and me. E&O is errors and admissions. Um, I've got to go through like all kinds of paperwork to get appointed. So like, it feels like I've been working on this for a month and I haven't made any progress, but um, I have gotten a lot done. Uh, is is a lot of this it's so you're saying you're going to be an agency if someone just wanted to be a generic health insurance agent under some other agency this i assume this would be easier well they you, you have the option of being treated like an individual sole proprietor like basically a 1099 contractor mm-hmm. uh, or you know which is fine but in order to assign your commissions to a an entity um that entity actually has to be licensed itself and I did, like Leg Up Ventures is a C corporation at the top of my 
like that o- that owns and operates all the company the ventures that I'm starting, and I didn't want Leg Up Ventures to be a licensed agency because I don't want something that happens with Leg Up Health to affect my operations with other companies. So that required me to set up another LLC called Leg Up Health underneath Leg Up Ventures to be the agency. And uh, so, anyway, it's it's not like expensive or anything. It's mostly just frustrating because I mm-hmm. think I'm. I think I'm about ready to start making, you know, money and becoming a broker of, on on my users' policies, and then I hit another. Oh, I got to go do this, which takes two weeks, and after two and every all these other things that I need to do that take two weeks are dependent on that that thing getting done. So, I feel like I'm like two to three weeks away from being done at this point, um, but I'm prepared for another gotcha of like, oh no no, you got to go get this in order to do that. Um. I know you know what you're doing, but for the benefit of someone listening to this who's already intimidated by starting a business, I might just point out like you could have very easily just said, I'm going to go the sole proprietor route for now and figure the rest out later. And you could potentially be making lots of money before you ever got any of that stuff figured out. Correct. Um, which which uh, I guess I could have, but not for the model that I'm trying to build that would have created problems down the road for me. Mm hmm. All right. Well, I'm glad you're hopefully uh, approaching the end of that process. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So, and then let's see. I one one kind of cool thing is: Are you familiar with MakerPad? Uh, it's um, a, yeah. a growing community. A guy named Ben. I think his last name's Tassel. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really know how to pronounce his name. I think he's he's either Canadian or European. I'm not sure where. But he um he started this community for no coders to come together and learn how to build applications without the use of code. Um, and they're running a competition right now. It's a $500 competition around automation. And you've got to be able, you've got to basically use an API, um, no code to leverage an API to automate some workflow. And I'm thinking about entering that contest under leg up health by building, a, a you know, basically a, like a health insurance verifier for consumers so that like if you're a user you can come in and say take the information from your insurance card plug it in and then say hey you know i uh you know what what's my deductible that kind of thing i think that'd be kind of a cool no code competition project yeah that would be but i thought you had problems with hipaa compliance or something i've worked through those and because it's not like it's actually not anything to do with specific claims it's Mm. It's not technically like under the. It's not protected know, health information or whatever. It's not protected health information, but it's definitely like in this area between just basic personal contact information and HIPAA. So if I did this, I'd need to make sure that the user flow made sure the user understood exactly what information is going to be accessed and that they're okay with that. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a great idea. I mean, probably the $500 is not going to change your life. Probably you won't even win, but having like a competition to, like to go towards is a nice motiv- motivator. This is the same reason p- companies and people do hackathons, uh, which I was actually just talking about with someone here. It's just like you you can't sustain a sprint, but sprinting occasionally is a good way to be productive. And this would maybe force you to sprint a little bit. Exactly. It's a feature I need to build anyway. So if I can get some extra motivation uh, to do it and maybe like the $500 isn't really the, what I'm after, but potential exposure to the brand and what, you know, the mission that leg up health is on could be good. And connecting with other people in the, the maker pad community, probably. Totally. Totally. Yeah. 
Cool. So um, that that's another cool thing. And then um, really where like once I got roadblocked on like a pellet, I shifted to what I want to talk to you about today, which is working on how to talk about myself, um, my ventures and promote what I need help with and how I can help others in a way that isn't annoying, um, but also moves the needle. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, I mean, you're talking about customer acquisition, but you kind of already have in mind the style you want to do. Yeah. Well, I, um, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, like customer acquisition requires conversations in the early days. That's like, I'm working off of that. It requires conversations with customers and those conversations, um, I want them to be mutually beneficial conversations from the get go, because that's just the brand that I want to portray. And once you like put that constraint on conversations around promotion, it gets a little you know hard to just like call someone up and say, Hey, how's it going? I would like to sell you something. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to like find this balance between actually promoting, but also not being selfish, uh, yeah. at least like not, or I guess careless would be the, you know, the right, better word. Anyway, that it's been, I'm exploring that from a bunch of different angles. Um, and I'm making progress, but I'm looking forward to our conversation today and, uh, cool. I'll, I'll go ahead and transition into yeah, that. Let's so, dive in. so the topic today is, um, we'll call it how to acquire customers in the early days. I, I think, um, you know, this, the specific stage I want to talk about is where I'm at, um, with leg up health. Um, I spent 2019, uh, launched leg up ventures in May, 2019, which is about seven months ago, eight months ago. And most of 2019 was around working through some ideas, validating them, and then progressing the ones that stuck and had some legitimate potential to real businesses uh, that had a business plan or assumptions and revenue model and some sort of MVP. And I've reached that, that uh, towards the end of 2019, I reached that you know, the place where it's like, okay, I've got these three things, you know, I've got group current, which has a customer, uh, in the community outsourcing business. We need more customers at group current. Uh, we've, we, we, at, uh, at leg up health, I've got four beta users who are about to become paying, you know, users or re- revenue positive users. Now I need more users. Um, and I've got, you know, even consulting, you know, I've got, a an open, con- I've got open hours for consulting, um, that I want to put, you know, sell, <laughs> acquire customers for, mm-hmm. and I'm ready to fill those hours. So I'm really going from a, a mindset of a lot of thinking and focused on v- idea validation to, okay, I've got something now I got to get, now I got to get a bunch of people to like use this to continue to, to see if my hypothesis and assumptions will hold. Does that make sense? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so what I was hoping we could discuss today is in the very early days, let's say, assume you've got a, you know, your idea validated, you've got a basic product MVP, you've got people paying you for your product, um, like I do at Leg Up Health. Um, and you, let's say you want to go from that four or five customers to 10 customers um, in the mm-hmm. next, and you don't, have, you don't want to take a two years to get there. You want to do this in the next couple months. Right. And sh- should we introduce the inspiration for this topic? Yeah. And so I guess I, I've been thinking about this and feeling it. And I wasn't, I was definitely going to bring this topic up at some point in the next few weeks, but I got a, um, I got a, twi- a tweet or a 
what do you call it? A, a Twitter message? A DM. A direct message. I got, so I got a old, DM <laughs> uh, from Andy Cloak. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. At Cloakhead. Um, and he actually said, hey, you know, I'm... I love that Twitter handle, by the way. Cloakhead. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's good. <laughs> um, uh, so so anyway, he, he reached out and, and basically said last week, I don't know if you guys have covered this, but I'm in this... Basically, he said, I'm in the same situation you are at Leg Up Health. Um, maybe a little bit further along. And, you know... I'd love for you guys to cover this topic. So I, I moved this topic up on my priority list so that we could both get some value out of this. I'll tell you a little bit about Andy's situation. So I would like to fo- recognize that Andy's business is, a, is is more of a B2B business, although he does serve freelancers um, than, than mine. Mine's a B2, definitely a B2C business where I'm going after individual consumers. But we both... Uh, Andy has 15 current users. Um, he... Uh, has a product. Uh, what, what's it called? Do you, influencegrid.com. Influencegrid.com, and it's a SaaS tool for finding TikTok influencers um, that you could basically pay to promote something um, about your business. Um, he's currently at 15 users, uh, about 625 dollars in monthly recurring revenue, and he like this is a, this is actually pretty good because he only launched six weeks ago, so he's six weeks into this. Now he's for, working full time. And he has a goal to get to uh, about $2,000 in MRR, which is about three times where he is now. So going from 15 users to 45 users. I'm in a similar boat. I want to go from four users to 25 users, right? And so it's it's very similar numbers, um, slightly different, uh, you know, uh, business, you know, businesses. Mm-hmm. But we both have massive constraints on our time. This is not our full-time thing. We and we we want to start moving the needle, but we're not sure where to start. Um, I think we both don't want to be annoying too. I, I Andy seems like a pretty thoughtful guy, so yeah. Um, I guess for purposes of this conversation, we can focus more on leg up health because I'm able to speak to that. But maybe we can, you know, as as we have experiences to share and and with as we explore some of the questions that Andy sent in and that I have, uh, maybe we can touch on how this might be different for a B2B business uh, like Andy's. Yeah, I think it's this is actually perfect because anytime you're brainstorming ideas, it's informative to say, is this only appropriate in this specific situation or does it also translate to this other one? So we can kind of stress test all the ideas we have to see if they're just for you or if they're general. Perfect. Um, so for me, like I'm, I basically have at least 10 hours a week that I can spend on leg up health. Okay. Um, one question I guess I have is my goal right now is to, I want to continue to progress the product, but I want to add users. How much of that time should be going towards customer acquisition? Yeah. So I thought about this a little bit and I'm going to say a lot of things in this episode that I didn't personally do. This is more like I wish I had done it this way. And I kind of, we had a previous episode that was, we talked about a minimum viable product. And then in it, we sort of said, let's actually use the term minimum sellable product. Like get a product to the point where it's good enough that you know you can sell it to people. You and Andy are both there, but probably if you think of it as a spectrum on the lower end, like you haven't really proven it a lot, but at least someone's paying for it. So it's not a terrible product. Mm -hmm. My opinion is until you have that minimum sellable product, you should be almost entirely on product because you have to have a product before you can really get customers. But once you hit that point, to me... It's not worth working on the product a lot until you've proven 
that not only is the product good enough, but the market's there and you know how to reach it. Like you still haven't proven the business model. You've only proven the product at this point. So I'd spend a lot of time on growth until you, not, not for the sake of growth, but for the sake of answering that question. So you don't throw a ton of time into the product pointlessly. So now that, so kind of, I'm going to try to repeat what you said a little differently. And you tell me if I'm on the same page as you. We we've we've actually crossed a milestone, which is we actually have something that some number of people are willing to pay for, mm-hmm. um, and we can make money on. Um, now that we've gotten there, it's it's less about making the product better than it is right now, and much more about proving that there's more people like those people that are already paying us out there in the market, willing yeah. to pay. And that you can find them. Like it's, I think a lot of companies fail with a product people would like if they could magically become aware of it, but there's just no model to connect the product to the customers. And you're trying to prove that there is a model for that. So I'm quickly going that 80, I'm I'm moving on to 80% of my time should be going towards finding new customers. Yeah. Now I might argue against this a little, if what is being built is a more of a commodity. What I made with less knowing CRM, I probably didn't need to prove there's demand for a CRM, right? Of course there is. Uh, But in your case, you're doing something a little more new. And I don't know as much about TikTok influencing, but given how new TikTok is, I would guess what Andy's doing is also less proven than the CRM market was. Makes sense. And and I think like, even if you know that there's a market out there for it, there's a difference between knowing there's a market and knowing that you know how to go get customers in that market. And that probably applied to you at less knowing CRM even though the CRM market existed. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Like figure, like it's really an exercise of figuring if part of it's proving that there's a market, but by having paying users, you're already kind of proving that there is some level of market and assuming that there's people like there's people out there who are very similar to the people already paying us. There's probably a market. It's really a question of, can you reach them? And can you do that in a a predictable, repeatable way? Mm -hmm. And the, the only way to do that is to start trying to reach people. Yeah, I think okay, that's so, right. So my gut tells me um, that, like, I re- I typically approach this from a very manual process first. Um, I think at uh, one of the mistakes I made at Zane Benefits, I don't know if you remember this, but you, one of our biggest uh, like come to Jesus moments was over me spamming people uh, mm-hmm. with email. Oh, I remember. remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time, like I I was not nearly as like aware of. F- like mindful uh, online marketing tactics. So my like ability to like, just like go try something without thinking about the consequences was much, hi- my, my level of, of risk there was much higher than yours. You're like, mm-hmm. this is a standard. No. Um, <laughs> so I, I early on, like I, I remember just like blasting, p- taking a one to many approach. I, I think I, I, the way we built Zane benefits was, I literally scraped email addresses off of public websites for insurance agents and we spammed them. I shouldn't say we, I spammed them <laughs> using a tool that you had built for more of a, like a, a blog, uh, subscri- subscriber based, uh, nurturing. Is that, yeah, I think that, that was the compromise we found is y- y- you tried to give me a list of email addresses and said, I said no, but then I was like, we have this tool. If you want to spam them, you can spam them. <laughs> and of course, I get blo- like the mailgun. I think it was on mailgun, if I recall, or some yeah, some know. like tool. But like we got blacklisted pretty quickly and spam issues. But anyway, um, it worked. But 
I, that's not the approach I would take today because I have much more, I have a personal brand and reputation I want to protect. I have, I want to, I want leg up health to have a brand that's respectable. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be known as the guy or the company that spams people. (laughs) So, right. I also think it probably wouldn't work as well now. Like it's a very different world than that would have been 2008 or something like that. Um, there's way more spam protection now and people get more of it. So they're less likely to read it. Yeah. Yeah. But if you go out there and look at like uh, a lot of the, the playbooks for how to go get your early customers, they, they're talking about tools like outreach and LinkedIn and just basically spamming people a message over and over again and trying to get them to talk to you. Yeah. Although I, I don't want to spend the whole episode talking about spam here, but I do think there's a difference between to me, spam means it, it needs to be an, a mass email, not personalized and unsolicited. Okay. So if it's not any of those three things, I'm not saying you should send it for sure, but like it's better. So for example, if it's personalized, if you're sending one-off emails to people, but it's cold and unsolicited, that's not spam exactly until you continue doing it over and over. Okay. Or if it is a mass email, but people opted into it, that's not spam either. And whether or not it's actually spam or not doesn't really matter. It's it gets into how are you going to be perceived by the person that you're trying to make a, make your customer, and is that on is that is that how you want to be perceived? <laughs> right. But um, I think cold outreach is not inherently something that people will per- perceive as scammy. Okay. Or whatever. You, I feel like you do. Um, I I ignore it, but I don't begrudge people as long as it's only one. If people keep sending like, "Oh, you must not like me. Why aren't you responding?" Then I hate that. But the first cold email, I'm like, this person's running a business. They're trying to get my attention. You know. Hate the, don't, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? Yeah, it, it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> better luck next time, champ. Yes. Um, so, okay. So uh, that's good. So so that's that's the way we approached it. It was very like, let's blast the world at Zane Benefits. I would not take that approach today. I would, I, I would optimize for conversations, qualified, what I would call qualified conversations. So the way I think about each of these endeavors that I have, but like specifically like up health is if I can get if I can have, let's just say 50 really qualified conversations with potential users, uh, and I, you know, they, they live in Utah, they, um, they buy their own health insurance, uh, they work for a company that does not offer health insurance, they're passionate about health insurance, and I can qualify those things before the conversation, I bet half of them sign up and I get to my 25 users. Yeah. So that's, I think, let's pause there for a second, because I think a lot of people who haven't done this before will jump immediately to, well, what's the email I send them? Or what do I say to them in person? Or how do I get their attention? But you just talked about what I think is a much more important step, which is who are you actually talking to? Now, yes, if you're willing to spam the entire world, then this doesn't matter. But assuming you're not going to do that, you seem to already have done this exercise. But for, for people who haven't done this before, you need to sit down and say, who is the perfect person, regardless of how I'm going to reach him, regardless of what I'm going to say to him, who's the person I want to be talking to? Because that's going to inform the next step. Is that person someone you need to communicate with online, via advertising, in person at a networking event? It all depends on who the audience is. That's that's a great point. So yeah, I guess um, the way that to think about this more more mac- on a more macro basis is there's some tra- there's some like moment where the customer becomes a customer. That could be a sign up. It could be um, a contract being signed. It could be a verbal agreement er- really early on. Um, that's what you're optimizing for. And you probably like for Andy, he wants to get 15 of those. I want to get uh, 20 of those. For me, it's a sign up 
uh, online. I think for Andy, it's probably a sign up online too. But I so, think so yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll talk about signing up online. For me, like what I go what I go to next is I, I want more of those people. What are those four people that I have in common right now? What are my existing users like? What's the you know ideal like build? What's the profile of them? And and, and so yes, I want to build out like you know who are they? Where are they? Um, what are their commonalities? Uh, what are the common problems that they have? Are there other people I've talked to that aren't represented by this group that I have data that tells me I should be targeting as well? And then I go, okay, what's the step? Like, what's the step before sign up that I can control that I want to optimize for? And then what's my conversion from that step to sign up? I'm not going to just focus on signups. I'm going to focus on something before signups that I can control. For me, that's a conversation. And a conversation could be, it could be a 10 minute phone call. It could be a chat conversation. It could be even an email conversation if that happens in a you know rapid fashion. Um, it could be an in-person meeting. But I know that if I'm talking to like the ideal profile person that I that I've designed, I I I, 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 like, I shouldn't say I know. I assume that if I talk to th- those people X number of times, I'm going to be able to convert some percentage of them into signups, and I can just focus on those conversations. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's the right approach? Yeah, I think so. And I, I've heard different people give the, this advice. I think Jason Lemkin uh, of Saster is one of them that basically says until you hit some kind of sufficient scale you shouldn't be trying to do new things. You should be trying to do the thing that's already worked once, do it twice and do it three times until you've really got that engine running. I think you want to stay laser focused on, I know this can work. I just have to repeat it rather than saying, well, I've got this working here. Can I go make it work in Alabama or can I make it work with a different segment of customers? So I, yeah, I think what you're saying makes total sense. And maybe I'm the, re- that's a good point. Maybe the reason I'm gravitating towards conversation is that's how I got my four users. Mm-hmm. Was talking like spending fifteen twenty minutes talking to him, and that resulted in a in a sign up. Yeah, because I would I would push. I don't think you exactly made this claim, but if you were making the claim that everyone should start with in person conversations, I would push back on that. Um, I certainly didn't. I think it depends how much money are you do you stand to make. Like even if I found a model for less annoying CRM that involved an in person interaction, even if it worked, it will never be profitable. We don't make enough money. Um, yeah. And I, I'm going to be very clear. I was not talking about an in-person conversation. A conversation mm-hmm. to me is an exchange of communication, kind of like a, the ability to manually qualify someone before they sign up yeah. um, via some communication medium. And yeah. I guess the, the, the what I'm really focused on is the manual aspect of participating in the conversation more so than whether it's in-person or not. Right. Because if you make a landing page and ask someone to sign up for a free trial and they don't, you learn nothing. If you have a conversation with them you'll learn at least why they did, or or actually, even if they do sign up with your landing page, you learn nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in the early days, you one way or another, you need to have this conversation. I, I didn't know this at the time. I lucked into it because what we had is a ton of customer service. So we got people who signed up and then I met them after they signed up, but that was just pure luck on my part. Um, if not for those conversations, we would have had no clue. We would have no no information about any of our customers. Do you think that there's a way to automate all this and iterate based on data without talking to customers and having those conversations and go from like four users to twenty users? I think it's it's uh, people often make the mistake of getting data driven too early. They want to run A/B tests and stuff like this. 
Um, the reality is you probably won't have, unless you have a lot of money to spend on it, you probably won't have enough volume to learn anything. Like if you get 20 people to your website, it doesn't, and you run an A-B test and for people that don't know, an A-B test is you show half of them one thing and half of them the other and see which one gets more people to sign up. There's just no way to learn anything from that small of a sample size. So I would, uh, I wouldn't ignore data, but I would probably be thinking at this stage, it's much more about um, qualitative feedback and intuition than quantitative. Quantitative is for optimizing. It's for once you have something and it's ramping up, how do you tweak it and get it a little bit better? It's not about creating the idea in the first place, I don't think. Got it. So um, would be interesting here is, uh, I'm not, I, Andy's not here, so he can't speak to this, but if you looked at his existing users and really thought about how did this user find me and then what what led to the sale? Um, mm-hmm. If if there wasn't a conversation that took place between Andy and those people, maybe he doesn't need to have conversations, and he can just repeat the you know steps of that journey again. But I'd actually be surprised if he didn't talk to him prior to the sign up. Yeah, but yeah, if what he did was post something on Reddit and random people signed up, and now he has customers, go find post on more subreddits, find other websites like that, repeat it. But if, if we can just do a little comparison of you versus Andy, and I'm going to make up. I'm going to make assumptions about Andy's business because we don't really know, but you're selling to consumers. What you need to target though is they have to be on an individual insurance plan, which is like, there's different ways to find that out. Andy's selling to brands that want to advertise on TikTok. I'm not, I assume it's similar to Instagram. Uh, I guess advertising is the wrong word, but sponsoring content and stuff like that. These are major global brands. It's Nike and Patagonia and you know that type of brands, I think. So you're just like, how can you find people with individual insurance is a very different question from how can he find someone making brand sponsorship decisions at a major multinational corporation? Probably totally different ways of finding those people. But once you have them, I think you both, yeah, it should have the same approach as let's have a conversation with them. Yeah, I took, I did take a look at his website. Um, he has, I think, of three or four packages. One is for a freelancer. So like a solo entrepreneur could leverage this data to promote something. Maybe I could mm-hmm. even, um, all the way up to the, you know, enterprise call for, call for, you know, price, that kind of thing. I don't know I'm what sure the, the, the health insurance could. TikTok content would be so viral. <laughs> oh, if, I mean, I just got to figure out the angle. You know, uh, I actually opened TikTok when I was in visiting you in Utah and like Utah has a whole TikTok world. That's, it's all about Utah. It's so weird. Anyway. We're very insular here. Yes. Every uh, post is about my, my bishop said whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I have not uh, downloaded TikTok. I, I need to just to explore it, but I'm kind of scared to, honestly, it sounds like it's really di- addicting. It's it, well, yeah, it's, it's so obviously for people younger than us that I, I doubt you'll get addicted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, okay. So, so probably optimizing for some, really important uh, moment before sign up for me that's a conversation uh, whether that's phone in person I don't really care that where I can ask them some questions to validate that I can help them and then pitch them on I don't want to say pitch but like invite them to use my product I think you you're still in the mom test mode yeah like we we talked in an earlier episode there's a book called the mom test that I'm not good at this, at this conversation with a customer. It's a very short book. If, you, if you're a natural, which you kind of are, Rick, maybe you don't need to follow it. But for someone Aww. who's not a natural, Thank like you. me, <laughs> like I, 
you can read this book in less than a day. And it, if you just follow what it says, you'll have pretty good conversations with people, I think. Yeah. And I, I actually put all my notes on the mom test on my personal website. So if, if you want to bypass reading the book or you read the book and you want to brush up on notes, um, you can look at that too. I, I'm a huge fan. Basically, it's a, a process for selling um, an idea without selling. It gets into focusing on inter- like asking questions to validate facts um, so that you can uh, move forward in whatever process you're trying to develop. So I highly recommend that too. So yeah, okay. So co- we're optimizing for conversation. So I, I've, for me, I want to go have, let's just say 50 conversations on the next three quarters with qualified people. Um, what do I, like, how do I go get those conversations? It depends a lot. My instinct as someone who doesn't have a lot of marketing hustle, I think anything you do, you're either spending money or you're spending time. And there's generally a direct trade. Like imagine we have an efficient market where the value of the lead is whatever, and you have to either spend time or money to get it. Um, I made the decision in the early days, I'd rather spend money. I can go consult more, whatever. I have ways to make money. And then I'll just use Google AdWords or Facebook ads or Twitter ads or LinkedIn ads, whatever makes sense for the specific medium. For CRM, AdWords by far of those is better. For yours, I would guess Facebook would be better than Google. Mm. I don't think people are probably searching out anything like what you're offering. If, if, if people are trying to buy the thing you're offering, Google AdWords is great because you can get them right at the point that they search for it. But if they're not searching for it, you have to do a demographic-based advertising. So anyway... That's one so, option. So, so for Andy, like he p- potentially could try out uh, paid advertising for TikTok influencer uh, promotion. Um, yeah, I and I imagine every big company has a department for this. Or so I bet you could go on LinkedIn, and whether you're using LinkedIn ads or you're just doing cold outreach, I think is it called Sales Navigator or something. LinkedIn has something you can buy to get better cold outreach, basically. Um, I bet it's pretty easy to find people who are either in a position to make that buying decision or they can put you in touch with that person. Yeah. And I actually want to fly up for a second. I'm, I think one of the most valuable things that you said so far is focus on who your current users are and how they got there and then double down on that until you, you, you can't do that anymore. So what I'm going to is all four of my users are from my personal network, like first degree connections in Utah. People mm-hmm. that I reached out to via email and said, "Hey, can I can I buy you a drink?" and I talked to, um, and they signed up. So I have not come anywhere close to exhausting my relation, my network in terms of people buying their own health insurance who fit those things that I talked to. So for me, like I don't think there's much more to talk about yet. Uh, you know, on the first channel, it's the, it's literally I just got to go talk, to, ask people if they buy their own health insurance and if I can buy them a drink. I agree with that, except one thing, if I were in your shoes, what I would want to be validating is that they didn't go with you because of their connection with you. Um, Because maybe you can run a, you can successfully get a lot of customers that way, but then it stops. So what I would say is, are there people just like those people that you'll approach in the same way, but that maybe it's a connection of a connection of a connection. The further you get from your personal network, the more you're validating that this will actually scale, I think. It might, but I would, I, I want to, I, I don't, I don't want to get distracted by solving a problem that maybe I shouldn't be solving right now. Um, I want more users. Um, I'm not maybe concerned right the second about the scalability of those users, but more validation 
around. I, I don't know that yeah. I want to worry about scalability right now. I'd rather just have 20 users as quickly as possible. Scalability is probably... Uh, not a, I'm 50% challenging you. So okay. I think there's two goals here. One is to get users to bootstrap the business. For that, do exactly what you're saying. The second one, I use the word scalability, and probably that's the wrong word. It's uh, supporting a thesis. It's providing evidence to support a thesis. And I would say what you're suggesting will do the former. It will help you bootstrap the business, get customers, get revenue, which is great. It won't provide as much evidence that there's real product market fit, that you really that that there are people who are hungry for this in the same way. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I'm worried about that right yet. That's like the second iteration. So I'm going to, I don't really care about proving that I can sell this to other people because one, I trust my process and that I'm doing the mom test. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing a really good job. I'm going to pat myself on the back of not like getting kudos because people know me and love me. Um, Although I don't know that all four of these people really love me, I, I think they tolerate me more than anything. But um, so, so it, it, there's a, yeah, okay. So I would say that I'm probably gonna go pound my immediate network first, and then my second pound is gonna be on the secondary network of the users that I have and the people that I'm talking to. And that's one of the things the mom test says. It part the, the the main part of the mom test is how to ask the questions, but it has other sections. One I found really helpful is how do you continue getting meetings if it takes multiple meetings to close. The other one is get uh, referrals. At the end of every conversation, you say, "Do you know two or three other people I can talk to that might also be be worth my time?" Basically, yes. if you're doing the mom test, this should happen naturally. Exactly. What we're really saying is go read the mom test and execute that playbook until you exhaust it. And the reality is that by executing that playbook, you're going to stumble into uh, a second channel. The first channel is basically have conversations, uh, ask good questions, learn, uh, get introduced to more people um, like the people you're talking to, repeat, and eventually you're going to, you know, have more users. Now, this the second. Um, the what wh maybe we can go to the next cup pieces. Let's say that um, I've exhausted my conversation channel and I actually don't have a network to go talk to. What are some ways to what 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 channels? You, you mentioned you went to Google and maybe I should go to Facebook. When am I ready to go try these more traditional marketing channels to generate, for lack of a better word, leads? I mean, I don't think anything's preventing you from being ready right now. The, the reality you have to be prepared for is everything you do, whether it's advertising or the mom test or anything, will be ineffective, ineffective relative to how it will be in the future. Like you're going to get better at pitching it. Your product will get better. You'll have more social proof. So in the future, you might put a burden on yourself. I need, I, I can't spend more than X dollars to acquire a customer. In the early days, that needs to be 10X or some much higher number. It's going to be inefficient, but but you could do it right now, I think. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going, I don't want to deal with that right now. I don't care about learning how to use Facebook advertising. I'm going straight to, and I'm, I'm having, I have a lot of confidence with this because I've done it. Like I've, I've had experience. I don't want to use the word selling, but like you, leveraging relationships in a mutually beneficial way to get to the, you know, to get to new connections that I can help. And so I'm, I'm immediately going to, man, I just, I, I'm going to write a 50 number and I need to have a spreadsheet and I need to start adding names 
that I've had conversations with that are qualified. And then it's like, that's what, that's the outcome I'm looking for. If I do that, I believe I'll get signups. I'm not going to even worry about people signing up at this point. And I'm going to go start asking people like, Hey, do you know anyone uh, who fits these requirements? And I'm going to ask that question probably 200, 300 times until I get to conversations. I'm going to iterate and learn what's working on broadcasting that message. Uh, I, I might reach out to Twitter uh, people. I might do some research mm-hmm. and say, Hey, this person lives in Utah. They have been complaining about their health insurance or they work in a small business. Um, I go to LinkedIn. I can scour people who have the same people, but I'm going to be reaching out one-to-one or through an introduction. I'm not going to be like paying for a sponsored post or a um, advertisement of some kind to someone I haven't targeted. Yeah. I think that makes sense for you partially because of your product, partially because of your background and experience. I'd like to think I would do that, but the reality is I wouldn't. Like, Why I would wouldn't be too, you I'd just be uncomfortable. I'd be miserable. I'd hate doing it. I'd love, uh, if I were starting a new business, I love everyone I work with right now, but if I were putting together a team of, let's say, three or four co- co-founders, someone who wants to do that would be a great person for that team, but that's not me. And a lot of people out there don't have that person on their team. So potentially one solution to this problem is if, if you're a solo founder, you're technical, you've got a product that's got some traction, but you're not willing to go do the customer conversations um, for whatever reason, maybe you should partner with someone, uh, whether that be with on a co-founder basis or maybe you just do a revenue share and say, hey, like go do this. I have a huge problem with it, um, with doing that if, if it's not a true co-founder, because I think what you don't want right now are sales, what you want. Yeah. Our, our learnings. And most, like, like you said earlier, the conversations, even if they don't turn into signups are invaluable in terms of progressing your knowledge about the market and the validation of your business idea, um, and model. Yeah. Also a transactional salesperson will fail. Anyone with a sales background that's not entrepreneurial is going to come in and expect we've already got product market fit. We've got a commission model, all this stuff. And they're not going to be ready for what's coming. A traditional salesperson doesn't even know what that means. Yeah. What you just said. Okay. <laughs> so what you really, like, if you are going to bring someone on for this, um, you really want a product minded person. Uh, so like either a product marketing type mentality or a product manager mentality where they're much more interested in, um, validating hypotheses, uh, you know, as the sales process versus the transaction of selling. Yeah. Now, but so I, you can do it yourself. That's awesome. If you're a solo founder who doesn't want to partnering with a co-founder is great. I just want to get my voice in here to say, you can do this online. It's possible. And it especially depends on what your product is. If you're trying to start, for example, you're B2C, but you're still going to have a ACV, an annual contract value of $100 a customer, something like that. ACV, um, not yeah, I guess gross margin is not much at all. So I'm looking at uh, about $400 per user. Per year. Per year. So that's 400 times what you'd expect if you're building a consumer app, like a you know Facebook competitor free. or something like yeah. that, free. Um, in that case, also probably doing it online makes a lot of sense. It just kind of depends on the business model and the skill set of, of you and, and the team, I think. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I'm now thinking, I'm, I'm actually not just limiting myself to in-person stuff either. Um, when you say doing it online, what do you mean? I, I guess I mean, um, well, speaking from my personal experience, I did not have a phone call with a customer until they were already a customer 
and it was a customer support phone call. I didn't do any. Now, I'm not saying I shouldn't have. I didn't know about any of this stuff. There weren't books about this. Into, like the lean startup hadn't come out yet. I don't think the mom test had come out yet. But so I'm not recommending it, but it is possible to do this by buying some Google ads, making a landing page, getting people to sign up. But the key was still targeting the right people and accidentally having conversations with them to learn what was working and what wasn't, what terminology do they use, all that stuff. In reality, the conversation is going to happen on the front end or the back end if you're going to learn. Yeah. Uh, you know, the real question is how do you generate the conversations? And one way to generate the conversations is to is to pay to be where someone is that you're targeting. But you can't really know where to target if you aren't, you know, thinking ahead of like where where I have four users. Where do these people hang out? Well, how do I know where they hang out? I got to call them and talk to them. Where do you hang out? And then you and then you maybe uh, start testing those things. I think the big difference between what you're like, the big difference between what I'm saying about finding them online is with my model, you don't need to talk to everybody. With your model, you're going to have to talk to literally every single person to get them in the door. With mine, it might be 10 people sign up for free trials, three of them pay you talk to one of those three, you're still learning. So once again, there's two goals. There's the learning and then there's the customer acquisition. I guess what I'm saying is you can't learn without talking to someone. You can't acquire customers without talking to someone. Okay. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. So you can't acquire customers without talking to anyone, but if you want to learn, you're leaving a lot on the table by not talking to them. Yeah. Um, okay. And, go ahead. Sorry. Can, can I just give a quick anecdote about yeah, this? Yeah, um, like something we messed up that we learned our original product, we called our product less annoying software originally, um, not less annoying CRM. Thinking CRM is a buzzword, we're selling to small businesses with really simple needs. After talking to people, it became clear the only people interested in buying this already know it's called CRM. And we were just adding confusion. And that's the type of thing without talking to someone, we would have never learned that. So just figuring out what should our positioning be, how should, yeah, all that stuff. How do you You're talk not gonna, about your product so that people yeah. get it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I, I just realized while I was talking, um, my motivations for that, I mentioned MakerPad earlier, which mm -hmm. is an online community. They're doing a, a product hacking competition. And a lot of people who are, are makers and solo entrepreneurs are good target customers for me if they're in Utah because they're working and they may not have access to employer-based health insurance. So one thing I was just realizing is one of the, my motivations for participating in like a hackathon online is potentially making some connections who may be potential users or um, could introduce me to potential users. And by mm -hmm. like, what a great way to, to participate in something that would allow me to tell the story of leg up and maybe have some people be interested. So that's one way is enter competitions uh, early on, uh, either hackathons or pitch competitions. Or more generally, just join join a community. It's the dream to be a member of a community. Now, then it's more toxic if you're too salesy and obnoxious, but it sucks for me. I'm selling to old school sales reps. I don't know any. I'm not one myself. I'm not a part of that community. If, if you can be in the community of the people you're selling to, that makes this a lot easier. Yeah. So that's really good. I think that's exactly what, that's what you have to do in order to get users efficiently without funding. You have to be able to become a member of this community that you're trying to sell to. How do you do that without like being an asshole? And well, I've never done that. I'm not a member of the community that I sell to. I would challenge you on that. From what I like, I would challenge you that you don't see yourself as a member of the community, but your customers do. They, they, they. You care about small business people 
a lot. And they and you and you and and your users know that. But my point is, I'm not hanging out where they're hanging out. I'm not meeting them organically because I'm like, well, I would have been doing this anyway, and I bumped into you. That doesn't. Yeah, uh, let me let me be more clear. Um, your brand, less annoying CRM, is present where small business people hang out, right? Like, okay, that's, yeah, you that's have you to market found. to yeah. to your customers, yeah. And at the end of the day, like that is what customer acquisition is all about: is getting your you and your brand to be accepted by the community you're targeting. One of the best ways to do that is be, to be seen as part of the community. Mm-hmm. I, like if I were targeting, I'm like realizing right now I need to go, like I've got to go find maybe some small business owner meetup groups and just like, that's a great place to go meet people that I don't have a connection with who maybe target users. Um, But I've got to be figure out how to get accepted that community. When you're going into a community that maybe you aren't naturally a part of because you're new to the community, how do you enter that community without coming across as a selfish, how do you, how do you self promote with humility? You're not going to like my answer to this, which is that most of the time you just can't and shouldn't. Um, the The world is full. Everyone wants to sell to small businesses or whatever. And the world is full of people joining those communities with those intentions. And I, I'm all about authenticity. If you actually wouldn't be there without that motivation to sell, my attitude is don't try to be a member of the community. You can still be there. You can support it. You can market to it. You can go to the trade show and get a booth. But I think authenticity is key here. So like when I go on Indie Hackers, which is a message board for, you know, comp- small businesses and startups and stuff, I'm, I was there not to sell. It's because I like reading the posts. And then maybe I'll, I, I actually don't think anyone on that site would use our product, but you get the idea. I think it starts with genuine interest and authenticity. If you don't have that, my opinion is that's not a path you should follow. Yeah. So if you want to be successful with engaging a community, you've got to authentically want to be a part of that community for the the result of being a part of the community in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't join with other with with agendas that don't align to that. Yeah, it's going to be so transparent to everyone that you're not actually one of them. I think that's great. Um in in reality like if you're serving a community like that, you should want to be a part of the community. Well, and along these lines, for you, you're not an insurance, like when you said small business, like let's think about like maybe an insurance agent or travel agent. You're not that. You are a consultant and they need this. So you'd be much better going after that and actually saying, I'm a consultant, you're a consultant, let's talk about that and being an authentic member than saying, well, you're a a travel agent, (laughs) I'm a tech entrepreneur but I want to act like a travel agent to sell you something. What we're kind of getting at is that if you have two circles, one is like where you have interest as an entrepreneur and then where your target user has interest, you want to find the communities that overlap naturally versus trying to force this um, like relatability almost. And uh, I, I, consultants are a great example. I'm also super interested in marketing. Like there's probably yeah. like, like even go even further, go to marketing consultants. Um, yeah. So, but okay. that's just one way to like. You don't have to join a community to get customers. I never did. I probably never will. It's fine. Join a community to further the cause of the community, and if you can find a community's cause that aligns with your co- company's cause, it's a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you um, uh, balance? You know, we talked about balancing time on customer acquisition. I want to make sure, like, it seems like when there are, there are phases of a company where you're going to spend more time on product development 
less time on customer acquisition as a solo founder, and then maybe less time on product development and customer acquisition. It seems for purposes of this topic, if if you've gotten your first couple customers, the product is basically working and you want to grow the customers, it's time to focus most of your time on customer acquisition and, and leave product behind for a little bit until you get some learnings. That's that's my attitude. Eventually, working on product is the best form of customer acquisition because there, as we've talked about many times, there's nothing better than word of mouth. But you can't have word of mouth growth until you already have a starting base of customers. And so I think you owe it to your business to get that starting point figured out and solidified. And then you say, from now on, product development is a way to get customers, but it just can't be that way in the early days. Yep. So if you haven't gotten to the point where you're ready for customer acquisition to drive product, you're probably not ready to start acquiring customers and you should focus on the product. But once you're starting to think like, I want more customers, all of a sudden product is is now going to be driven by your customer acquisition efforts for a period of time, mm-hmm. um, or at least not dri- maybe heavily influenced by. And in order for that to happen, you've got to spend time on customer acquisition as a solo founder. So when when you're um, bootstrapping in a startup to last company and you you don't have funds uh, to pay for marketing, what's the best place for a startup to last company to start? I'm, I'm going straight to conversations again mm-hmm. within your network and trying to find people you already know who know people that are your target customer. Is there another place without like that doesn't require budget to start if you're yeah you know, where? Well, I think this goes back to the time versus money thing. And assuming your alternative is something like freelancing or being a consultant or even working a full-time job, every hour you spend on your business, you could have spent somewhere else. You could have made that money and funneled it in. So first of all, I wouldn't I don't think any bootstrapper should limit themselves to thinking I don't have a budget for this. Go make money however you need to make it and put that in your business if that's the right way. So that's always an option. But aside from that, there's always content marketing, write blog posts, make a podcast like this one, go on YouTube and start making helpful videos. If you're helping people online, they will notice you. That's a way to get in front of people. Um, So yeah, content, educating. mm -hmm. But again, you've got to get that content in front of the target people. So how do you do that? I guess that this does go back to the community thing. Like this is the hard thing I think a lot of people don't talk about with marketing is especially content marketing. Yeah, you have to the the mark the content is marketing for your product, but then you have to market the content. Mm-hmm. And if there's not an obvious way to do that, don't do it. Uh, don't do any content marketing. I've learned this lesson a thousand times over. Not well apparently because I keep m- making this mistake. But I make content. It's good, it's valuable, and then it's like, well, now am I going to buy ads to drive people to this content when the, the content was supposed to be the re- like the thing that prevented me from needing the ads? I, I I'm just keep coming back to conversations. Like, yeah. let, go have conversations with potential customers, scrap your way through that until you're getting good introductions. And if you don't know how to do that, go learn because you won't be a successful entrepreneur without it, especially if you're a solo entrepreneur. Um, and so you got to go talk to people and then eventually you're going to be talking to those people and they're going to have common questions, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell you where they're hanging out and they're going to, and then you're going to be able to write a paper of some kind or a blog post answering those questions and figure out how to promote that in some way. But it's, it's, it, for me, it's all like, just go talk to people. I don't, why Absolutely, is it? But I, I just want to push back. Cause like this comes naturally to you. You're good at it. That's not true for everybody. One thing that I have seen, this applies to content and to what you're saying it's a lot cheaper to advertise things that aren't products. And what I mean is if you're spending ad money to get those conversations, like let's say I'm an entrepreneur, I don't 
I'm selling to a group of people I don't know. I can't just go have conversations with them. You might be better off making a landing page to start the conversation and paying for ads to that. You'll pay a fraction of what you'd pay to drive people to your actual product because there's no competition for that. Similarly, I have heard that, I know I just made fun of this, but advertising content is in many cases going to be a lot cheaper. If you have a, a tight funnel that gets them from content to customer, that might actually work. So interesting. So maybe you go to your existing users and you say, and you analyze your customer conversations and what you learn from them and you identify some theme of education that you gave all four of them, you package that and then you advertise that um, as a you know, two similar situated people. And maybe you can find long tail keywords to advertise on Google. Maybe you can promote it. You know, you can pay for newsletters. Maybe you can use your own product to promote it on TikTok. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, you know things that, that you could do there. Okay. What, um, I guess. Can I just one of the, we have a list for, yeah. for anyone listening. We have a list of questions we're reading through. There's one in particular here that really, really stands out to me that I want to talk about. Go ahead. Go ahead. Which is, should I try multiple channels or focus on just one? And I have like everything else we're talking about here that the answer is it depends. And for this one, I feel 100% confident. Can you define what a channel depend. is? A channel being like a method for acquiring customers. So one channel might be Google AdWords. Another might be talking to people at networking events. Something that kind of is repeatable. Um, the, what, the main marketing lesson I've learned through this whole experience of running a business for 10 years is you need as many different marketing channels going as you can. Because A, every single marketing channel uh, marginally gets worse as it scales. So if you can acquire a customer for $10 on Google AdWords, the next one's going to be 12 and the next one's going to be 15. It just gets worse and worse because you pick all the low-hanging fruit. And B, channels just die all the time. Um, one of our biggest marketing wins ever was the Chrome Web Store, if you even remember what that was. We had tons of free traffic coming in. If we'd gotten addicted to it and said, that's the only way we're ever going to acquire customers... It literally overnight, they just basically shut it down. They made a policy change and it stopped. Uh, I'm of the opinion you can get started with one, but as I, th most of them won't work. Most of them will fail. If they do work, they won't be as big as you think they are. If they are as big as you think they are, they'll go away six months from now anyway. The more different seeds you plant, the more things you try, the better, is my opinion. Yeah. And I, I agree with that over the long term. Um, so I think you don't want to be a, I mean, at Zane Benefits, we almost went out of business uh, because the Affordable Care Act drove down insurance agent commissions and literally 90% of our sales came from insurance agents referring us business and the incentive for them went away. So we had to build mm -hmm. up our organic channel from that. And luckily we had blogged for just because we wanted to and we had leads coming in that we weren't tackling and it saved the business, but it wasn't intentional. For me, like this is a going from four users to four customers to 20 customers conversation and it's a $1,000 MRR conversation. This is not a question of what channels strategically. It's a question of hustling. And for me, like going from four users to, to, to 20 users is for me is about like, I don't really care how I do it. I just got to do it. And I should definitely like be thoughtful about how I'm doing that. But I ain't worried about like whether the channel is repeatable. I ain't worried about trying 20 yeah, different channels, yeah. one channel. I'm just trying to get to the conversations that get me to the 20. And then once I do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, okay, what worked? Where can I double down? But until you start throwing a bunch of shit against the wall and seeing what sticks, um, I, I feel like you don't really, you're, you're kind of wasting your time with analysis by paralysis. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So there's, there's two points here. The one I was making was 
later on from what this conversation is about. But I think the conclusion is still the same for the, the reason you just said, which is everything you try has what, a 10% chance of working or something? So if you put all your hopes in one marketing channel until you have something that's working, uh, you're going to like plan this this campaign, you're going to put all your mental energy into it, and it's going to flop most likely. So having things going in parallel is a good way to kind of diversify against that risk. Yeah, like always be experimenting with different channels. And if one starts working, triple down on that, but don't start experimenting with these other channels. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, one final question we'll go through is what's the best place to start for noobs? Go talk to people. That's like, just go talk to people, talk to potential customers until you feel comfortable doing it. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, go hire a co go find a person that you trust to be your co-founder. Can I talk specifically about how I do it if I was Andy? Yeah. Cause I was just thinking, I don't know the business that well, but um, what I would do is find every business that's already clearly advertising on TikTok, like just look at the biggest people, um, see what products they're promoting and work backwards from there and say, like, I'm going to look up those brands on LinkedIn, figure out who's working on this and email them. Because one thing, Justin Jackson of Transistor.fm says this a lot. Um, if you're a bootstrapper and if you're just getting started, if you're a noob, uh, you're going to have a very hard time changing people's behavior. And it's going to be much, much easier to capture people who's, who are already engaging in the behavior that you want and getting them to use you instead of whatever they're doing, whether that's using, you know, there's all kinds of alternatives. A lot, so, of people, a lot of noobs make the mistake of trying to change behavior. Yeah. Um, at People Keep, we had a perfect example of this. Uh, for years before we, you and I were uh, got our shot, the company was going after companies with group health insurance and trying to change the way that they were offering group health insurance. The big change we made, the only reason we got to cash flow positive, we said, Hey, let's go focus on the companies that don't offer health insurance because they already don't offer health insurance and mm -hmm. they have a problem. And we're just going to insert and, and the employees are already buying their own health insurance. Let's just go help them do that better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, and what that made me think of is, you know, once you know what your target is for conversations, I, I know what I need to go do now. Now my takeaway is I need to go make a list of the people who I think um, either might fit my profile uh, or know someone who fits my profile. And I need to probably have a list of 200, 300 people. Once I have that list, it's just a question of executing thoughtfully against that list and reaching out to them, whether it's an email, LinkedIn message, or Twitter um, to, to get to the conversations I'm trying to get to. But yeah, you're right. I don't want to go after people. I'm not going after people uh, who are on group health insurance plans and trying to sell an individual policy. I'm yeah, going after people who work. already have individual <laughs> health insurance. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you're a total noob, find someone who's already doing something like what your product does and just help them do it better. Help them do it better. Um, cool. Well, we're uh, running a little long here. There, This is a bigger topic, so maybe we'll revisit this sometime in the future. But how do you feel about calling it? Yeah, I feel good about calling it. Um, takeaways for me um, are... Uh, I need to go and analyze my users a little bit better um, and find out the commonalities outside of their connection to me too. Um, I need to make sure, make some assumptions around how many conversations I need to have to go through signups. Kind of already have that based on our conversation, but I need to va validate that a little bit. Three, I need to make a list of people, um, do some research and make a list of people who I think could uh, be potential customers and then go reach out to them. And on every one of those people that I'm going to go reach out to, I'm going to make sure that I'm not only asking them whether you know they uh, would would have a conversation with me, but also do they know someone else who might also want to you know fit my profile? So always asking for that referral. And then I'm going to go review my mom test notes. Great. 
That sounds very actionable. Yeah. Um, Anything you would add? No, I think that's good. Uh, But I guess like, let's just thank, you know, we're we're not a big podcast. We don't have a lot of listeners, but Andy, thanks for giving us a topic, giving us something to talk about here. Uh, If anybody else like would like us workshopping an idea, um, you know, write in and let us know what you're thinking. And Rick, you, you were, you went back and forth with Andy, like for quite a while, there was like a real conversation there. So we are very available if anyone just wants to chat and talk startups with us. Totally. Like I, uh, if, if, you know, even Andy, if you want to keep talking about this, shoot, shoot a note over. Um, I, I love part of the reason we have the podcast. We like talking about this stuff and, uh, I learned from talking to other people. So, um, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out and, uh, and and thank you for listening. Um, you can join this conversation and uh, pass, and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, you can contact us via the website or on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. Um, again, that's startuptolast.com. Also, if you want to help us out, um, either reach out to us and give us some feedback, or if you like us, uh, leave us a five-star review on the podcast app of your choice. And without further ado, I will see you next week. See you.